You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Thank you, Matt. This time we dismiss our Children's to Children's Church. We provide programming uh, up through the second grade. So if you have children second grade or below that you would like to attend Children's Church, now would be the time to, uh, to dismiss them. As they're ex- ex- uh, exiting, I want to uh, recognize or give a shout out to all of the volunteers that helped the Emergency Chaplains Gala uh, Thursday night. So it was a, it was a big success. And uh, I want to say thank you on behalf of the church and the body of Christ and Skip and all those that were there. I understood that the, the Genesis community folks kind of finished strong. When everyone else had left and there was stuff to be cleaned up, you were still there. And uh, that's, that's pretty awesome. I also want to encourage you to continue to pray for uh, Maxwell. Where are you? There you are, brother. Uh, he is planting a church, but he is also a tribes fan. And uh, they did not finish strong. Uh, So console him and kind of slap the smile off of the uh, Cubs fans because they're the ones still probably wearing that that ridiculous smile. But I guess they deserve that after 108 years uh, of waiting. Uh, I thought it interesting that uh, Peter and Kathy were here, Clark and Clark. Uh, a local and a global missionary Clark effort. And so you guys need to meet just because you share the, the same last name. So they'll be at the, at the missions board uh, at the end of the service. But we are really grateful to have both of you here and grateful for your work and ministry and the privilege we have to pray for you and partner with you in just a variety of different ways. Today we conclude the book of Colossians. And uh, the Apostle Paul really kind of pulls back the curtain for us to see that ministry involves more than just an individual, it involves a team. Now there's a, a saying that says, behind every great man there is what? Yeah, a great woman. And really behind every successful leader, there's a quality team. And the Apostle Paul kind of gives us insight into the team of people that God had surrounded himself with for him to be able to to write the epistles and to do the ministry and to stay encouraged in the faith because it is not a solo act. It is a a team and a family effort um, to serve and to follow God. As you look at companies or ministries, there's a pattern of this throughout it. Steve Jobs, the uh, founder of Apple, Um, The baton was just passed to Tim Cook. Now, Tim had served faithfully for years at Apple, and many thought that he didn't have the personality or the charisma to ever lead the company. But today, he has taken Apple to a a whole new level of success. The same can be said of Mark Zuckerberg. They said if you wanted to talk to the most powerful person at... uh, Facebook, right? Uh, it was Anika Forgot, his assistant. Uh, to be successful, you need to surround yourself with faithful people. And we see as Paul recognizes some of those today that that is central to being success- successful in ministry. One of the-
blessings in my life that I've had over the course of my journey in ministry was to be mentored by some really pretty exceptional Christian leaders. And uh, when I was uh, 20-something, planting a church in Orlando, Florida, very, very green, one of the blessings that God gave me was to connect with the executive team at Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, one of the elders in the church was Roger Brill, who was the national director for Campus Crusade. And he got me into their executive team breakfast every Friday morning. So I got to sit with, with Bill Bright and Steve Douglas. And it was really interesting to see how that group of men complemented one another. Because if you talk to anyone on the inside, Bill Bright was the visionary, but without Steve Douglas who was kind of the systems operational guy, most believe the Campus Crusade would have never become what it is today. The largest mission agency in the world with over 35,000 missionaries serving around the globe. The Apostle Paul understood that and modeled that. And so if you open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 4, we want to look at verses 7 through 18 today and get a get a snapshot into the team of people that Paul ministered with as he served uh, the gospel. The scripture records these words for us. It says, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that you may encourage, be encouraged of heart. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful, beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Articius, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demius. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in our house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter with Laodicea. And see that Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, in what almost appears to be just a laundry list of names, we pray that your spirit would open our hearts and minds to the eternal truths that are present for us to understand the inner workings of ministry, the challenges of team, and what is required to faithfully serve the kingdom of God. Lord, we pray this morning that you would quench our spiritual thirst and satisfy our hunger through your word, inspire us as to our part and place 
in the ministry that continues today. Uh, for your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes and you want to organize this passage, it really breaks into three very simple uh, categories. The first is those who are journeying to the church at Colossae from Paul. So they're leaving Paul and carrying the letter back to the Colossian church. And that is verses 6 through 9. Then there are those who are with Paul that are sending greetings back to the church of uh, Colossae and Laodicea, but aren't going actually personally. And then finally, there are those that Paul is instructing be greeted who are present at the church, and he is instructing the church to carry their greetings. So we have three different groups of people, kind of these tiers of leaders and influence as to how a ministry connects and, uh, and flows. Paul is really kind of pulling the curtain back for us. He's given us a portrait of the family of God, the, the ministry team that God had built in order to see the Great Commission go forward, and the pattern is to be the same today. As we read the Scriptures and we understand that we are the family of God, we're a part of a single body, and we're supposed to be connected, connected at all different levels. Christianity is never supposed to be about a celebrity uh, pastor or person. The only person we really need to be celebrating is Jesus Christ, and we are all just parts of his body. And one of the real dangers today in ministry is that we violate that. And we have become mesmerized with people and personalities. And so the Apostle Paul in his day, if that would have been the case, and they'd have had that, that cultural Christianity, he'd have been the rock star. But Paul ends this book by really pointing out that, you know what, it's not about me. And if you've read the book, you really understand the whole time he was pointing to Jesus because Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. But he lets them know it's not just my work, it's the work of many who, many who are making this possible. And that's the heart of a really mature Christian leader, one who is continually first reflecting glory to God and secondly, recognizing the work and the contribution of those around them. When any leader starts to make it about them, there's trouble. And so the Apostle Paul ends in multiple times through his writing, he recognizes people who are serving alongside him. And in this, we kind of get a snapshot of all that's going on because sometimes when you read the scriptures and you can read a, a crisis or a challenge, it seems so neatly solved. And sometimes we don't completely connect with the emotional trauma and drama and we think that only exists in our own ministry teams. But that's not the case. And as you start to understand the dynamics of, of what's going on in the individual's lives that are part of this ministry team, we can kind of get an understanding that ministry wasn't that much different in Paul's day than it is today. Whenever you work with people, it's messy. And when you start to pull back the veil on the lives of the individuals that Paul mentions, some of them are pretty pristine. And it's like, wow really honorable, great people. Others, you start to see some of the chinks in the armor. You start to see some of the drama of life decisions. And in that is what we want to look at today. We want to look at the members of Paul's ministry team. And we kind of want to see the activity that was going on in their lives and in the ministry. And from it, draw principles that will help us build healthy ministry teams today. Because if we are going to honor God it is never just about you. 
It's about you and the others that God wants to connect you to to see the work of God go forward. So first, there are those that Paul is sending to Colossae. This is two individuals, Tychius and Onesimus. And I kind of want to set the stage here because we miss the dynamics of this. If you don't understand, Onesimus is a runaway slave. He had become a part of Paul's ministry. Paul was discipling him. And Tychius has been given the assignment not only to carry this letter back, addressing the challenges, the doctrinal errors that were bubbling up in Colossae, but he was also sent to deliver Onesimus back to Philemon. Now, the dynamics of that are significant because if you understand and you remember the letter that we just thought, Paul had a lot to say about the way the church was supposed to treat people, that there wasn't supposed to be distinction between slave and free, that Paul specifically wrote in chapter 3 how heads of the households were to treat the servants in their household. And there's, a, there's this drama going on that really isn't seen in the writings if you don't kind of pull back the veil and connect all that the Scripture gives us counsel on. You really miss the dynamics of what's taking off. As Tychius begins to leave, and he is an exceptional leader, Paul gives reference to that. He says, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother, a faithful minister, a, a fellow servant in God. He is an example of what you kind of want your right-hand man to be. He could be trusted with difficult situations, and Paul didn't have to worry that he would handle it exceptionally well. One of the difficult situations, and what's written really kind of between the lines here, is there is a dynamic. Because this is kind of a test of all the truth that Paul has deposited. Imagine... The difficulty for the church, if Onassis gets back and all of a sudden there's this rebellion, it's going, oh, wait a minute, because there was social dynamic. We think there's only tension in the social fabric of society today. There was all kinds of it there. Because according to the Roman law, Onassis could be severely punished. And it was hugely disrespectful and dishonoring of the slave to actually run away. And he had done this. And now Paul is saying this is an opportunity for the church to practice interacting differently than the rest of the world. But there's no guarantee that all that was going to happen. And those who have worked with people understand that sometimes what you know the will of God to be isn't what always people do. So this is, behind the scenes, all the drama that's going on as this letter is given to this trusted servant and he starts to take it back, you can be assured they're praying hard because the credibility of the witness of Christ is really on the line with how this is received. Will the church be different than the rest of the world? Will we extend forgiveness, acceptance? Will we recognize that Onesimus is one of us, is a part of the family of God, and though he is positioned differently socially, in the fabric of society, he is to be respected and honored as a member of the body of Christ, as a valuable servant of God. So you kind of get an idea of the anxiety, maybe not anxiety, but tension that exists as they begin to leave. 
We need to be people like Tanikius, who can be trusted to not exaggerate, to not overstep, because I think as you read the, the words that Paul says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage you in your hearts. And so he knew that he would go back and he would tell them the truth. And that's kind of an interesting, I wish, wish he'd elaborate a little bit more on this, because there were some really dynamic, exciting things happening in uh, Paul's life. Kind of maybe to overstate, it's like everyone that Rome chained him to, got saved. Now, that would have been a problem for the household, you know, for the Roman Empire. It's like, what do we do with this guy? You know, we're trying to get him to stop this witness, and we're actually advancing its cause by everyone we connect him to because people are getting saved in, in, the, in the prison. Now, that's pretty exciting. Paul was in chains, but the gospel was definitely loosed. And that's an encouraging message that he can bring back, and he can say, hey, and this is the message. Life can be difficult, but God's work and God's agenda God's purposes can't be stopped. And that's something for all of us to keep in mind. So Tenichius was trusted to deliver these encouraging words and also to be the mediator between a very difficult situation that had huge repercussions as to whether or not the church would really follow and align with the teachings that Paul had just written and articulated that were very personal. And you can only imagine the faith required in Onesimus. Here's a, a young man who'd come to faith, <clears throat> been discipled by one of the heroes of the faith, and that his ministry was to submit to returning to his owner, his master. Now, internally, there was probably, on the, on the natural side, nothing in him that wanted to do that. And yet, Paul is instructing him, this is, this is what's right in this culture, in this setting. And sometimes we learn in ministry, it's, it's not easy to do what's right. Paul challenges them, and he says he's a faithful and he's a dear brother. And this is basically authenticating him as a member of the body of the Christ, and he should be treated as one of you. Not only is he from where you're from, but he has now become a part of the body of Christ. And he is to be honored, and he is to be respected, and he is to be forgiven for his choices. Now, I can only imagine, and the scriptures don't tell us, probably not everybody thought that's a good idea. You can hear the voices, can't you? Oh, he needs to be made an example of. And social justice and right and wrong becomes very, very messy, even when you're dealing with truth. And so Onesimus is challenged to go back and to submit to the decision that Philemon would make, and under Roman law, he had the right to see him severely punished. And Onesimus didn't really know what would happen. We read the book of Philemon, and it looks as if, historically, Philemon received him, forgave him, and all went well. But you can imagine the tension as they travel. What's going to happen? Have I really made the right choice? Was Onesimus experiencing the peace of God or the societal pressure? 
And so as you read the scripture, it's just really important to understand that there's not just these pristine settings where all of this is just, you know, supernaturally unfolding. There's real lives and real decisions and real drama and real trauma taking place in the midst of it. And so these two men go and they carry this message. And some believe that really the timing of when and why they sent the letter was really connected more to Onesimus is returning to Philemon than even the, the, the concerns of the heresy. That was going to be addressed, but the timing of it probably rested in resolving this issue. Because imagine the tension in the church if Paul, an apostle, is housing a runaway slave. Now, some celebrate that, and some question that. So that's the setting of what's going on. And it wasn't an issue that we could wait on. This needed to be resolved, and its resolution was going to have repercussions on how the truth looked, on the authority of the Scripture, on the authority that Paul held as an apostle. And all of that is on the line as these two men leave. So imagine the prayers that are being offered and being given in this. In this we learn too, that as leaders you are called to not shy away from addressing difficult issues. The, the health of the church and the body of Christ and the movement of God required that this be addressed. And that's kind of one of the underlying principles that's easily missed. And sometimes it's like, uh, let's, let's, let's just not deal with that right now. That holds potential to be, you know, make things even worse. And so as, leader, as a leader, Paul recognized the importance of not letting a difficult situation not be addressed, not be dealt with. And leaders make difficult decisions. And you can be assured that it was prayerfully made. But one of the principles that we learn is you don't shy away from addressing uh, challenges in your midst. After Paul addresses uh, Tychius and Onesimus, he, he moves to those who are with him who are actually greeting others in the church. In these remarks, there's, there's really six people addressed. And Paul writes this, he says, Articius, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among the fellowship of the workers of the kingdom of God. Now recognize again that Paul had built a multicultural team. And I think once again, that's something that's critical to the well-being and the health of the gospel message. Is, is the gospel isn't to be exclusive, homogeneous. That's not a reflection of the, the body of Christ. And Paul, from the very beginning, built a team that reflected the diversity of nations and people. 
And that should be a priority of any team that we build. You don't want to surround yourself with people just like you. It's not healthy, and it doesn't reflect the heart of God. So he goes on, and he says this. He says, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and her in her Halopolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demius. Now, there's a, there's a lot of history in these names. So, Articumus was a fellow prisoner and greeter. There's not a whole lot known about him. Some believe that he, by choice, um, chose to be imprisoned with Paul. He was a very, very faithful friend to Paul because you see him showing up in the scriptures alongside Paul through, through many dramatic things. He was, he was a part of the shipwreck that Paul was on. He was a part of the riots in, uh, in uh, uh, Ephesus that Paul was a part of. Uh, he was a faithful person. And this is the kind of individual, again, that you look for to surround yourself with. People who, when, when the going gets tough, don't run. And so it's important as you look to build a team that you, if it's possible, to see the history or the pattern of a person's choices and beliefs because there will be those, and we'll see in this list, when, when kind of the going gets tough or it's not quite as fruitful or rewarding, they, they, they abandon the faith. Uh, they leave. And what we see in Artipicus is a, is a faithful servant of God who loved Paul, and regardless of how hard things got, he stayed the course. He was in it for better or for worse, and that is a virtue and a quality to be celebrated. Mark, Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Lot is, not, a, not a lot is said about him in the Scripture, but a lot is known about him because he was the source of the conflict between Barnabas and Paul that after the first missionary journey, because Mark went back home and abandoned the missionary trip, uh, Paul said, I don't want him on the next trip. Now Barnabas, his relative... I don't think that really had that much to do with it. Saw potential in the young man. And he believed that he could be developed. And so Paul and Barnabas couldn't come to an agreement. But Barnabas continued to disciple this young man. And the beautiful story that unfolds from his life as Paul writes about it is at the end of his life, he recognizes him as bringing great value to himself. And so as leaders, someone's failure shouldn't disqualify them from future service. And too often we look at lives and we say, ah, you've got this or you've got that, and we disqualify people that the, the stumble in their life will have made them a better leader, not a weaker leader. And we don't have the faith of Barnabas sometimes that's required to see that people can mature, people can grow, and people should not be ever judged by one decision or two or three in their life, particularly as young men or young people. Mark turned out to be a great value and a great testimony to all of us who failed ourselves. Have made decisions that 
we're not proud of, that think, man, I've disqualified myself. Um, when you think about it, you know, the Apostle Paul was a pretty significant voice in the church. He's not the kind of guy you want to get on the wrong side of. <laughs> Yet Mark did. And the beauty of the church is there is always grace enough to find your way back to each other. And there's a lesson there for us. Because we are too quick to polarize, to divide, to judge, to disqualify. Rather than to give people opportunities to grow through and to grow beyond the early mistakes of their life. We don't know specifically what the issue was. It may have just been he got tired and went back home. I don't know. He may have, he, you know, Paul may have matched him with Artipkus, who, who didn't give up during difficulty, whereas Mark may have given up. Got hard. The missionary work was harder than I thought. Yeah, man, I'm going back, to, I'm going back home. We don't know what it was, but we just know that it wasn't healthy and it didn't reflect maturity. But he grew through it and he became a very valuable contributor to the work of God in the world. Next, we see Jesus or justice. Jesus, not much is said about him in the New Testament either. He only appears here. But he was a faithful servant, recognized by Paul. And sometimes maybe this is all that God's trying to say is, you know, there's team members that don't contribute as much as others but still deserve to be recognized. And he acknowledged his presence and his work. And he says, hey, he's here and he's doing well. And, we, and, he, and he honors him. And that his name is recorded in the eternal word of God. So as leaders, there's just wisdom in recognizing all who contribute, regardless of exactly what the contribution is. Epaphras is on the other end of that. It's quite a bit said about him in Ephesians. He was a pastor. He was the pastor's heart. He was the one who carried the gospel to Colossae. He founded the church, and he loved the church. You see it in his prayers. You see it in his heart. And in what Paul writes about him, it just oozes out of him. Paul just says, this guy loves you so much, and he's praying just passionately for your maturity, and that you would be freed from these heresies, and that you would know the full will of God. And he just couldn't stop praying. This guy Love those people. Now, here's what's interesting. He's the founding pastor who has a deep love for them and concern for them, and yet he's the one the church chooses to send to minister to Paul. Now, why would they do that? Because they loved Paul and because there's a principle in the body of Christ that you always send your best. Because he was a guy who has had to be substantially influential in the church. And yet as they huddled and they heard of Paul's situation, it was he that they said, you go and you minister to him. And it's interesting, he didn't just go and carry the questions and the heresies to get a letter and to go back. He went to stay with Paul as a gift from the church. And Paul sent wisdom, 
truth back with Tychius and Onesimus. It's interesting, isn't it? We have a tendency to want to hold on to our key leaders. We kind of want to hoard gifted people rather than release them. And that's, that's really not the biblical principle. So we're supposed to be more concerned with sending than receiving. It's the great commission that isn't finished. As Paul wrote this, he says, you know, the only thing that wasn't completed by Christ was the carrying of this message to the ends of the earth, of which you have been given the privilege to be a part of doing. And they understood this. So they wanted to send their, their best. It's kind of interesting. We were at um, the Mosaic Conference this week, um, uh, the staff and, and Billy, who's part of staff. We're going we're gonna to be sending our, one of our best. Um, <clears throat> but um, Matt Chandler was speaking. He was talking about this principle, and he went to Acts, and he went back to when Paul and Barnabas were sent the first time. And he says, you know, when you're starting a movement, you're thinking about who do we send, and God says this, there are people you'd like to send out. <laughs> you know? But then he says, there's people that you just kind of want to keep close. And so he was describing Paul, and he says, you know, Paul's the kind of guy, he says, you know, you send your average guy to the, on hospital visitation, and he may go and he may pray over the person, and then leave going, hey, brother, you know, God bless you. If it's the will of God, you know, I hope, I hope God heals you quickly. And he says, then there's Paul who walks in the room and says, get your pants on. Jesus is healing, you know, we're healing you in Jesus' name. He says, that's the kind of guy you want doing visitation. It says, that's not the kind of guy you want to send to another ministry. And then he says, there's, there's Barnabas. He says, Barnabas was the kind of guy that was just such an, an encourager in ministries, hard, and he was the kind of guy that was always, Pastor, that was a great message. Pastor, God's using you. Pastor, God has real plans for you. And he says, this is not the kind of guy that you want to send out because he lifts you up and he keeps you encouraged through the difficulties of ministry. And he says, but those are the two people that God pointed to and said, send them. And so if we want to follow the principles and the patterns of Scripture and demonstrate a full commitment to the Great Commission, it's recognizing the most gifted and faithful and talented individuals, and it's preparing them to go, not to stay. And so when the church at Colossae wanted to minister and reach out to Paul and his difficulty and his chains, they sent the best pastor they had. One they knew that had the gifting and the ability to lift his spirits, to hold him up. A mark of real maturity is being willing to release rather than to hold on to. Paul was the beneficiary of this as Epaphras went and shared. And I think there's a greater principle here. And I think we're kind of guilty of it in, in, in America. You know, God gives us gifts, talents, and abilities. And sometimes when you become so gifted and so talented in the body of believers that you are, it's really easy to start putting your trust in the gifts rather than the giver of those gifts, rather than the God that you're supposed to be serving. 
So I think this principle is there to a certain degree for our own good. So that we don't become self-sufficient. So talented, so strong that we really don't need God anymore. Even in doing his work. So I think that's part of the reason God says, send out your best. Let me raise up leaders so that you don't become dependent on the leader. Then he addresses Luke, and Luke, Luke is an amazing person. Luke was just such a faithful servant to the kingdom of God, recording a physician, a single man. He actually ended up dying a martyr's death. Faithful, and I get the opinion that Luke was kind of the guy that was the detail one. You know, he's recording and he's watching, and it's actually uh, been determined that Luke actually was the scribe for one-third of the New Testament. Pretty amazing. And he is there with Paul, and he was faithful, and he is the only one that stays with Paul to the very end. Now, part of that may have been because he was a physician, and as Paul aged, he needed a doctor to be caring for him. But he was very faithful, very talented, very, very exceptional man. And then there's Demius. And this is a sad story. Um, Demius is only mentioned twice in the scriptures here, and then it's recorded that he loved the world and he abandoned the work in his faith. And so I think the life lesson for us is this. Is it doesn't matter how quality a leader you are, there's always going to be some that don't choose to stay the course. In Jesus' ministry, there was Judas. In Paul's, there was Demius, who he loved and he cared for, but who became more concerned with the cares of the world than with the faith. And this is important for all of us who are involved in ministry to recognize that the evil one is after you. And just because you're walking well today, if you don't remain faithful, that tomorrow is there is no guarantee for. God will be faithful to you, but will you be faithful to him? Matthew, Jesus wrote about this, and he, he talked about this in Matthew 13. He says, in the one, talking about the sower, and the one whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. So we read this list of names. Who do we want to be? And I think it's listed as just a reminder that leaders will have people abandoned, but as leaders, we need to stay on our toes. Because the cares of the world and the concerns of things can come and, and get you. And it's almost as if Paul starts this reminder just repeatedly because from this he goes to the next category, but he talks about Laodicea. And Laodicea, for those of you who are familiar with your New Testament and Revelation, it is the one church that nothing good is said of because it had become lukewarm. It was the church that God wanted to spew out of his mouth. It's another group of people who are given the same truth the Colossians were given, who, but for whatever reason, that seed didn't ignite the same passion in them. And they abandoned. And so you have an individual and then you have a community that just kind of lost their way. 
So leadership lessons and principles in this is sometimes as leaders, when things don't unfold the way you want to, it's not on you completely. And as a leader, sometimes we can be so hard on ourselves and think, what did I do wrong? What else could have I done? But there are going to be people and there are going to be communities that will abandon the faith and it's not necessarily your doing or your responsibility. And as individuals, it's so important to us that we take the warning to the church of Laodicea seriously because the instruction there was this. It says, you lukewarm people, be earnest. What is earnestness? The Greek word for earnest is zealous. We get our word zealot, zealous from it. And he says, you know, keep your passion for God. And so the check that we should all be making is we should all be checking the pulse of our passion for God. When we hear the gospel on each Sunday, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, does something in us jump in our spirit because we realize the great grace that was poured out on us and how unworthy we are. And that gratitude should move us to want to serve, to give, to align, to commit to the fulfillment of the Great Commission and our part in it. And if that's not stirring the warning is, get on your knees. Seek the heart of God. Repent from whatever it is that's capturing your heart more than the gospel itself because that's a dangerous place to begin to travel. And it can become contagious in a community for the sake of the church. Be faithful to guarding your own heart because we all are interconnected. And then Paul ends with an interesting challenge. Archippus appears in the scripture two times. And the challenge here is a, is a, is a really interesting one. Because he says this. He says, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Now, why do you think Paul kind of concludes with that reminder. Because I think though he's writing to a very specific person about a very specific challenge and we don't really know what the ministry was that he was called to, but we do know that he answered the call. Is this is kind of a message that at the end of a book where Paul has held up the supremacy of God, the greatness of who God is, that he is to be the premier sovereign of your life, that he is worthy of that and who he is and what he's done. That at the end of the book, the most natural response is to follow him into whatever calling he has for your life because he's worthy. And he has just said there are those who've abandoned it. This guy, don't lose sight of what God has seeded in your heart and be true to it because this is where you're most fulfilled. Now, here's the challenge. We don't know what was causing Arachimus to, to hesitate, to hit the brake, to not be willing to take that final step of faith and engage in the ministry that God had called him to. But I know, having lived through ministry and myself, felt called into things, how easy it is to hesitate, to respond to the promptings of the Spirit in your life, to the passions that God has put in you for evangelism or for discipleship or for missions itself, and to start to rationalize all the things that you don't have. You start to think, yeah, oh, I don't have the time to get involved in this. 
I don't have the resources, the treasure needed to do this. I don't have the talents needed to succeed at that. And so when we start to humanly rationalize about our lack, we fail to engage. And that is completely contrary to the whole message of the book of Colossians, which is what? That Christ is in you and Christ is God and in him you have everything you need to fulfill all that God has called you to. And so many times with God, he says, I'm calling you to this. And we respond back, Lord, show me how that's going to work out. And God responds to us, you take the step and I'll show you. And we say, God, you show me and I'll take the step. And so we sit and we wait, and we stagnate. And the danger of that is the slower you are to respond in obedience to God, the more at risk you put yourself to fall into the Laodicea pattern, to believe that you can provide for yourself better than God, to believe that your plans are more appealing than his for your life. And so I believe Paul ends with this challenge because he wants all of us to evaluate what we've just heard and the sufficiency that we have in Christ and that the identity that we have in his and that we are capable of reflecting his image and anything that he's called us to and he wants us to evaluate ourselves. The ministry that God has put in your heart, are you involved in it? Are you responding to the Spirit's calling on your life? Or are you hesitating to engage and to become a part of a ministry team? Because you have all you need in Christ and, in one, and with one another. And so the challenge I want to leave us with as we reflect on all we've heard in Colossae is have you identified the team God wants you on? Have you recognized the position and the place that God wants to plug you in for the sake of the gospel? Because it's in that place, on that team, that you are going to be most fulfilled and that this ministry will be most fruitful. And if we are not going to model the Laodicean church, it requires all of us as a body to be obedient to the calling of God. And to the faith and faithful to the principles that Paul lays out for us in these last words as he shows us his team and gives us principles to lead us in establishing our own. And sometimes it's not huge ministry that God uses most. I want to close with a story that Chuck Colson records in one of his books. Chuck Colson was the founder of <coughs> Prison Fellowship he was doing a, an event in Washington, D.C. that was getting all kinds of press coverage. And he had well-known singers and pastors preaching and ministering. And at the close of the revival in this prison, they were getting feedback. And one of the inmates said, you know, I, I appreciated the preaching and the singing, but he says, let me tell you what impacted me most were the ladies who made us a home-cooked meal and sat down with us after all the cameras had left and listened to our hearts and our story. You know, those are unsung people who probably no one knows their name except for the person that God used them to bring from death to life. But it's those people 
more than anyone else, more than the celebrity talented ones that really keep the body of Christ moving and oiled. And I don't know what your future is. You may be the future Billy Graham or Bill Bright. I don't know. But you may simply be called to cook homemade meals for incarcerated prisoners. And if that's what God's called you to, my prayer is that you'll say yes. And that there won't be an excuse of, I don't have the time, I don't have the treasure, I don't have the talent. My presence doesn't make that much of a difference. That's a lie. And that's what the evil one wants us to believe. And when he can convince enough of us to unplug, we become an unhealthy body. And the glory that God wants to reveal in us is tarnished and tainted. Let's be a church that says yes to walking by faith. Let's be a church that believes that in Christ we have all we need and that what we are lacking, God will provide as we by faith follow what he calls us to engage in. And in so being, we will be a church that reflects his image. And one day, I believe that the leader of this family will welcome each of us into his heaven with a well-done, good and faithful servant. <laughs> May that be true of us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.